0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Bible Geek here. Robert M. Price coming to you with a bunch of great questions and eh, so-so answers. I'd just uh, like to uh, let you know I've... uh, been doing Bible ge- geeks, but not as often as I would like because of writing. I did finish up Holy Fable, but I'm uh, into the uh, Bart Ehrman interpreted book now and having a lot of fun with it. And uh, I'm I'm sorry that that's uh, uh, caused me to put uh, the geek on the back burner, and uh, I'm going to try to get more of them in, but I have done a couple of them recently, and you may not have heard them because of Dropbox problems, and I'm not sure you're going to hear this one on the usual channels either. I'm not sure if I've cleared up the Dropbox problem. I hope I have, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I, one of them that didn't make it out of that to, uh, John and, uh, Sir Jan was, uh, I think june twenty ninth and it's since been posted uh, on facebook the link uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of you have uh have managed to listen to it there. And another one on july twenty fourth uh seemed not to make it out, and that will very shortly be posted. Uh, if this one doesn't uh, manage to uh, follow the usual rules, uh, it'll come out there, too. I'll tell you the truth, I don't know uh, how many people will miss it that way, and I hope they don't, uh, but uh, I'll, I figured I'd better go ahead and do something rather than just waiting uh, until I was, was sure it was ironed out. At least it gets out there in, in some manner. Uh, I'd like to also just mention a couple of things uh, in the works. I'm being interviewed tomorrow evening by the uh, Free Thought Prophet uh, podcast, and uh, I'm not sure when it will air, but I'm sure I'll be given the link, and I will pass that on, at least on my Facebook uh, account and uh then a couple of days from now the uh the guy's Joseph Nani, and uh, his crew are coming down from Toronto uh to uh film some bits and pieces of me in my home lair which i guess means i'm going to have to clean the joint up uh, and um this will be um, this will enable him to get the second installment of the gospel according to price uh, up and running so a bunch might be Interested in uh, in knowing that Carol and I are working on uh, our uh, Patreon programs and so forth, and we're we're thinking that for people at the fifty buck level, we're gonna uh, quickly, and we think the first Friday of September uh, at eight o'clock, we're gonna have our first Heretics Anonymous uh, group via Google Hangout, uh, and I'm. I'm kind of thinking I'm going to try to do the Lovecraft geek the same way. And, um, but again, this is, uh, I'm afraid this isn't just wide open for everybody. Uh, I also am posting little mini essays and the like on my Patreon page. And those go out to anybody that's uh, signed up for any amount. And, uh, so far I've done one called, uh, Um, the Christ conundrum about uh, how they arrived at the Christology of Chalcedon with the uh, one uh, person to Nature Christology, and I also posted one of my spurious epistles of Paul. You know, Paul's epistle to the Milesians. Never heard of it? Well, uh, I'm also going to try to get into print uh, what's already available as an ebook: uh, Paul the Lost Epistles, a collection of 14 new epistles by Paul, so to speak, and uh, and plus an Apocalypse of Paul. And uh, I'm kind of proud of those. Some of you must have read them already in uh, the uh, uh, e-book version. Excuse me. Man, some are cold or something, I guess. And uh, so various things are in the work. But, but I would like to, um, to uh, give a, uh, a shout-out to people that my uh, generous uh, Patreon patrons... And uh, there's uh, there are a bunch of them, but it won't take too long. I do want to acknowledge their, uh, their help. Uh, Keith Williams in Toronto, uh, he has uh, signed up and uh, also joining the team are Bill McSpadden, who's in Bentonville, Arkansas. Donovan Willett, a long-time Bible Geek listener in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, M. Marsden from Bryan, Texas. Joshua frevisson, I think I'm saying that right, but who the heck knows? In uh, North Liberty, Iowa, then uh, Jesse Rydberg in Litchfield, Minnesota. My daughter Victoria's out there in Minnesota. I don't know how close to Litchfield, but uh, uh, then uh, there is Alexander, who is uh, from uh, uh, Barzinghouse in the Netherlands. And uh Andy Hulsey from East Point, Georgia, a little closer to home there. Scoop Jai in uh uh Mount Barker, South Australia, and uh Darren Griffin in Hilliard, Ohio, uh Arthur Clem in uh Kennewick, Washington State. Uh then uh six 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 I wonder if that has anything to do with the book of Revelation in uh in Haley, Idaho, Uh, given that Idaho is largely Mormon. I uh, hope nobody tracks him down there. Then from Hardy, Virginia, I got Jake Shelton. Then there's David Lind from Sela, Washington. Selah, like uh, in the Psalms. And then there's Nick Eversett in Exeter in Devon in the UK. I wonder if they're still being um, uh, visited by uh, flying saucers in Exeter. Anyhow, there's Douglas Struthers in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, the home of numerous great comic book writers. Then from Roanoke, Virginia, there's Mark E. Chubik. There's Chris Ely from uh, Huntsburg, Ohio. Peter Coote from uh, Mount Warrigal, North North South Wales, another Aussie. Uh, Shlomo Dror from Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, of course he's a lot closer to the biblical action than i am Uh, bozier city louisiana where a relative of mine lives one of my uncles uh, is uh, david wilson and Ian is uh, from Wellington, Florida. He he isn't a Gnostic Eon, uh, apparently, but he might be. You never know. Uh, Dan Harida, he was one of my Institute for Higher Critical Studies, uh, independent students I used to talk with some years ago, uh, from Andover, Alabama. Then Geek's Guide to the Galaxy in uh, Summers, New York. Is a loyal Patreon patron, Robert Church uh, from Portland, Oregon. Uh, Vesna Kovac uh, in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, she's done some in- interesting questions for us. Then the famous Corpsey the Ewok in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Don't don't you love that name? I uh, I do. Uh, David C. Bruce in Los Alamos, New Mexico where I guess it's always a-glowin'. Then from Oakland, there's Carnicus, Oakland, California, where um my publisher Chaosium is headquartered. Then uh, Sean Hanley in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, Jonathan Howard from Davis, California. I was there once for the initial Meeting of the Jesus Project some years back. Defunct now. Uh, uh, let's see, Mike Baker, who is in Japan... Tochigi, I hope I'm saying that right. Then there's Jay Allen from Oklahoma City, Eric Meyer from Douglasville, Georgia, uh, Jan Borgland in uh, Oslo, Norway, then uh, Michael Moore, probably not the one you're thinking of, in Ackworth, Georgia, and uh, Paul Thomas uh, from uh, London. That's... Uh, Boy, I should have thought of somehow working in a bad accent there. Uh, Dusty Cressinger in in Walla Walla, Washington. Is that an Indian name? I've always wondered. Uh, William W. Brown in Providence, Kentucky. Wayne Kirk in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, let's see Matush M-Muse, uh Sorry, Mucha in uh, uh, Oseni Apolski. Is that in the Philippines? I think it is. I'm not sure. Just says P.L. Have to look that up. Uh, Michael Johnston in Cary, Alabama, and Phil in uh, uh, Monmouth, in Monmouthshire, in uh, Monmouthshire, uh, in the U.K. So uh, that's uh, the latest. I-, I can't do that without thinking of the glorious old days when I would. Uh, consume hostess cupcakes while watching romper room any of you uh, old enough to remember that at the end of it miss so-and-so whoever the heck she was would uh, hold up the magic mirror and say "Ah, i see out there charles manson and paul pot and all the other avid uh, viewers uh, so i I don't pretend to have a magic mirror though you never know i might just be concealing the fact okay uh, now on into the rain barrel I'm afraid I somehow don't have the name of the questioner, but you know who you are. Would the birth narratives of Jesus be evidence for an oral tradition of Jesus? Since the birth narrative is not in Mark and is found in both Matthew and Luke, we can assume that they got it from some common source. I wouldn't be too sure about that. Also, we can assume that their source was vague in the details because both Matthew and Acts have all the actors, but Transpose the dialogue on the common parts. Do you mean Matthew and Luke? Uh, where the stories differ outside of the common elements we can assume that there was a unique source or an artistic license in its rendering the story had to come from somewhere for joseph gabriel and the holy ghost to be mentioned in both works how do you explain the birth narrative and the oral tradition from a mythicist viewpoint i know this is outside the bible as most theology wanders from it in mysterious ways but i'll ask it-oh i'm sorry this is uh... Uh, this is a second question. Uh, I uh, personally don't think that as a whole the two nativity stories are based on oral tradition. One dead giveaway in Matthews is that the whole thing is constructed around Old Testament passages uh, of which the events of the nativity are taken to be the esoteric referent. Uh, how do we know that Jesus went into Egypt with his family? Well, because Hosea eleven one says so. Out of Egypt I have called my son. How do we know Jesus was virginally conceived? Well, because uh, the use of the septuagint is of Isaiah seven fourteen, behold a virgin shall conceive. And, and uh, how do we know that there was a slaughter of the innocents in Jerusalem? Well, because Jeremiah said something about Rachel weeping for her children. Well, none of these things had anything remotely having to do with Jesus. The New Testament of the Gospels, back in their. Um, uh, original contexts, and it seems like that he Matthew has constructed the story around these uh these formula quotations, as Christian Stendhal called them um with Luke, there is a similar problem there are chronological and Political, I guess, should say improbabilities that imply someone is trying to patch something together, like the the confusion over when Quirinius was the Roman governor of Syria, uh, because he he was um, on duty in six. AD, whereas Jesus would have been born in between four and six BCE, uh, according to the data he himself gives about who was reigning in what area at the time. Uh, and so uh, it's it's incoherent. And then how does he get Jesus' parents to uh to Bethlehem so they can fulfill another prophecy? And of course Matthew does have this, but they have gotten that the bethlehem thing um out of uh common exegetical tradition but not necessarily a common oral narrative that's a key point well luke has they luke and matthew have uh the, the mary and joseph get to uh bethlehem and then to nazareth in completely opposite ways uh in uh, luke they live in nazareth but go to bethlehem to register for the census and then come back home to uh naz uh, to uh to nazareth that's his way of explaining well he must have been born in bethlehem because of the prophecy but he was known as jesus of nazareth so how do you get the two together well that's his way matthew figures no mary and joseph Uh, lived in Bethlehem, and then they had to flee to Egypt because of Herod's goon squad, and uh, then they were told to not go back to Bethlehem, but to Nazareth, because Bethlehem was a little too close to Herod's son, um, Archelaus, who for some reason uh, would still be hunting for the infant Messiah. I mean, that's hopelessly uh, silly. There's, There's no reason in Matthew's own narrative to to think that Herod the Great hadn't thought he had accomplished his mission in exterminating the uh, the infant would-be king. Uh, and uh, so why would his son still be on the lookout? It's just preposterous. Um, but he says, go on up to Nazareth. They'll never find you there. Well, again, we've, we've got, well, must have been born in Bethlehem because of the prophecy. Uh, but he's known as Jesus of Nazareth. How are we going to connect those dots? I mean, th- th- that, there's no way we would have that difference if it was based on a common narrative common story, right? And that's the question. Again, a common exegetical tradition, the belief that Jesus must have been born in Bethlehem, and so on. Um the idea of the census, right? Even There's no record of such a census, and records of such things were kept. And uh, the very notion of a, of a census taxation res, uh, registration, not where you live, but where your ancestors a thousand years earlier had lived, uh, nobody does that. Nobody's ever done that. They want to know where they can come to knock on the door and get the money. Right? So, you know, it's uh, it's it's just a contrivance on Luke's part. Uh, the idea that Gabriel is the revealer, well, all you need to do to get that is to go back to the Book of Daniel, which is no doubt where they got it. And uh, the fact that he appeals to he appears to Joseph in in Matthew's Gospel and to Mary in Luke's. I mean, again, I just don't think you've got a uh, Uh, common uh, tradition there. The only exception to this is that the Lucan canticles, you know, the the Magnificat, etc., uh, those uh, do seem to me to be prior uh, texts, uh, hymns of the Anoim, as they're called, the the pious poor of Israel. Uh, They're um, uh, sort of uh, either the oppressed poor or the voluntary poor, like the, uh, the, uh, sectarians at Qumran who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were, they practiced voluntary poverty and wrote loads of hymns. It seems to me, yeah, he may have picked those up, um, though, on the other hand, the Magnificat is just a paraphrase of Hannah's song in First Samuel, so who knows, but, Luke's not the only one who could paraphrase, but those may well have been bits of oral tradition. Um, The nativities of John the Baptist and Jesus in Luke uh, are often thought to have stemmed from the nativity traditions of both the Christian and the Baptist sects. But uh, that wouldn't be the whole story. As I say, all that uh, stuff about the census and Quirinius, that needn't have been in a very rudimentary oral tradition uh, nativity narrative. But there might have been some very basic one uh, available to Luke. But on the other hand, (sighs) sorry to keep juggling like this, the uh, par- the stories of uh, Jesus and John the Baptist are uh, uh, based on the nativity of Samuel in 1 Samuel, as I've just indicated with a similarity between the Magnificat and Hannah's song. So, on the whole, I, I don't think there's much common oral traditional material in there. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so it, it just seems to me that uh, there's no there's no conflict between this and the mythicist view. It's just a question of once Jesus was historicized, people tried to fit him into a historical period, and this wasn't the only one. And uh, Luke certainly had trouble doing it. Anyway, you cut it. I mean, that fact alone would suggest there's something funny going on there. You know what? They can't keep this straight. Okay, here's the the second part. I know this is outside the Bible, as most theology wanders from it in mysterious ways, but I'll ask it anyway. Is it possible that the Calvinists have created a theology that does not matter? If Calvinism is correct in which God, prior to the formation of the universe took a daisy with everyone's name on the petals and plucked them. As he plucked them, he must have muttered something like, I love not this one a hundred times or more, (laughs) to everyone. Uh... um, uh, he says i love this one you know he loves me not loves me when he was all done he took the loved petals and preserved them in a book as a ticket to, into heaven in that theology does theology even matter since as nothing uh, the plucked and tossed can do to be saved and the plucked and preserved can do to be unsaved what further value can theology have uh yeah i I think you have a real point there uh it It seems utterly arbitrary, and um I believe the decretal Calvinists in Geneva or wherever it was said that the electing and and well the double predestinarian decrees for reprobation or election must proceed from the very nature of God that it isn't exactly a choice, it's a free choice on God's part in that he is obeying the law of his own nature, but it appears that uh, his, his decrees are logical extensions of his nature which sort of implies he couldn't have done anything else this is sort of a way to paper over the problem of what was he just uh, pulling names out of a hat uh, no there's a good reason we don't know what it is but it it uh, is inherent in the nature of god that may prove too much of course there's no proof but that may be a dangerous argument to use uh, because you're you're tipping over into the more or less stoic uh predestination doctrine of spinoza who said that every that God is not really a person at all, that everything that happens is an extension of the divine nature and happens necessarily. God is not a person who sits around and plans things out, who uses means to an end, uh, because he doesn't need to do that. We only do because we are so limited. Limited powers, limited opportunities, limited means and methods, and we have to Plan Now, uh, what are we going to do? And it might not work. Uh, and who knows why we decide uh, this or that plan or goal. But uh, God is not a person with limitations. Uh, God is infinite and everything um, pro- proceeds as it must logically even if we don't know the logic, and it would be surprising if we could, um, from the logic of the divine nature. This is why some people said Spinoza was God-intoxicated. He was sort of a Stoic-style pantheist. And others said he was an atheist because he really didn't believe in a personal God. And I think some Calvinists are using predestinarianism as a ticket into Spinozist pantheism. And indeed, um, the central aspect of God would be his or its inscrutability, and uh, it does render a lot of theology moot, and one way you can tell that is it, it releases a kind of computer virus into traditional doctrines, like um, why did Jesus die? Uh, did he do something to uh, enable God to save people? I don't see the point. It's like a charade if God has simply decided in advance who's going to be saved and who is not. Or, to put it another way, who's going to be saved and who's going to be damned. How could the death of Jesus affect that? Why would it be necessary? And uh, and if you think that he did destined, the, the damned to be damned, and and so on. Why would Christ—and and suppose his death did avail somehow for the elect. Did he not die for the whole human race, as the New Testament seems to say? I mean, it just becomes a huge mess. Uh, if you are predestined, but you can't really know it, you know, what—it's like a— Scrooge says in A Christmas Carol, Why show me these things if I am beyond all hope? It just seems like, okay, If it would make a bit more sense if you said, God is like the novelist, and we are characters in his novel. Well, that implies God is not uh, a character in the story. He's behind the story and controls the story. But the the you don't have a character saying... Gee, I wonder if I'm going to make it out of this by the end of the book. Uh, I I only wish I knew what the author had planned for me. It's ridiculous. And I think, yeah, that uh, Calvinism does create uh, anomalies and paradoxes that, that cannot be sanctified with the euphemism of mysteries. Oh, yeah, when we get to heaven, we'll find out how that works. Forget it. Acapulco J. says the word evangelical has been all over the mainstream media for the last 10 months actually it started getting currency during jimmy carter's time but you're right now they're talking about it as a voting block okay every time i hear it it reminds me of your recounting the teaching experience you had with bible belt kids they had minimal knowledge of the bible uh, could you recount that story for us it was a real treat and i'm sure all who have heard it would love it being retold also those who have never heard it would appreciate it okay jay I was, uh, just starting out teaching at Mount Olive College, uh, in, well, about 40 miles from here, where, in, in North Carolina, back in, uh, January of 85, and, uh, this is of course the bible belt and uh, all these kids were either free will baptists or southern baptists or pentecostals some methodists and so on and uh, those were, they're all biblicists right you know, the bible said it i believe it that settles it um and and they go to Sunday school and all that, so I figured, well, they may well be up on their Bible, and that would be great, because uh, you could could take certain things as read, so I gave them, I used to give them a no credit, uh, no demerit, um, Bible knowledge quiz, which I shortly knew I'd better rechristen the Bible ignorance quiz, not that I called it that uh, to anybody else. Where I ask basic things like uh, when would you guess the the New Testament was written, um, or how many uh, or can how many of the Ten Commandments can you name, uh, who are the apostles, what are the epistles, how many Gospels are there, and uh, I was just stunned at the complete ignorance. Uh, they they had no idea how many gospels there were or what gospels were, ditto with the epistles, um, the uh, the apostles. I, 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 I they might have had better luck on that, but I couldn't be sure. somebody thought that the New Testament had been written in the 19th century? I asked, "What do you think was the original language of the New Testament? English?" Uh, um, the commandments some of them couldn't list a single one and of course i'm not looking for strict wording here i just what's it telling you to do or not do uh one of them one kid said thou shalt not drink uh not in the bible i'm afraid and, uh, I think maybe somebody, it's been a long time, uh, somebody might have said, uh, thou shalt not have premarital sex, of course, that doesn't come up, uh, oh, boy, uh, I was really shook, and believe me, that was only the beginning of sorrows, uh, the, the performance on tests, uh, oh, my God, the cheating from all these pious kids, uh, I eventually got the impression that in Sunday school, they were just talking about sports and stuff like that. Just amazing. Um... Of course, there's a lot of problems with this mass ignorance. Any demagogue in the pulpit can tell you the Bible says so-and-so. You better do it. You better think it. And uh, if you do believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God, you may be intimidated into doing what they say, which might be innocent or it might be nefarious. And, uh, And so there's a problem. It'd be better to know it for yourself, right? And they don't. Uh, also, you really can't be an educated member of Western civilization if you don't know a good bit about the Bible and Greek mythology and stuff like that. Um, uh, but the uh, you'd think, however, this would mean there's not a lot to unlearn. That might be true. Uh, but... Uh, It it was just um, astonishing and dismaying, though it wasn't without its uh, humorous side. Uh, Boy, oh boy. Thanks, Jay. Ah, let's see. Uh, Richard Dicton, I think I'm saying that right. I was wondering if you could comment on Laura Knight's comments on the Jesus myth issue. Number one, that Pilate was in Judea until 19 AD and not in 30 through 33 AD. Two, John the Baptist died, beheaded, in 36 AD. These are nails in the coffin, if true, for the myth theory. I haven't read any historicist criticize her claims or checked how she came to these dates. Can you please comment on these claims? On the other hand, if you have not heard of a claim, she has a website on Pilate, Caesar, and Jesus, and YouTube interviews with Scott Radio on the Jesus myth. I think, maybe, she was one of two interviewers I spoke with, and if so, she has since generously sent me some books, but I've just not had time to get around to uh, reading them, I will try, because I'm always interested in this stuff, so I appreciate your tapping me on the shoulder. If anybody is familiar with her work and would like to tell us anything about it, in the meantime, I welcome it. So thanks for bringing that up, Richard. Ryan from Kansas says, my question, John 336 says, in the English Standard Version, um, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, I'm assuming the Gospel of John is my John Wayne. Uh, whoever does not obey the huh? yeah, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. According to standard Protestant theology, belief in Jesus grants eternal life, and disbelief or disobedience results in eternal punishment in hell. But here's the thing. If one is punished eternally in hell, doesn't that mean that person has everlasting life? It would be a oh boy. You hear the sirens out there. I think it's the KJVGB, the uh, King James Version. Uh, Secret police. They heard me reading from a non-KJV Bible. Anyway, um, it would be a painful and awful life, sure, but eternal punishment presupposes eternal life, doesn't it? So, therefore, doesn't this mean that everyone has everlasting life, whether you believe in Jesus or not? Do theologians and apologists ever discuss this? Is there even a contradiction? I don't think I have heard this discussed, and though it has occurred to me also, great right minds think alike here, but... um. I don't think that uh, the Gospel of John posits that uh, the uh, the sinners or the unbelievers or whatever are going to be tormented in hell. Right? Does it ever say that? It speaks of branches that don't bear fruit being thrown into the fire and burnt up. But I think it's among the gospels. You um, you you have the idea of being cast into hell. But I'm not even sure if that implies conscious torment in Mark. Um, I don't. Well, Luke has um, has uh, post mortem suffering in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Some people would try to weasel out of that, saying, "Well, it is a parable." But I, you know, I I don't think that really works. I think the um, point of the teaching there is. If you think somebody could be uh, saved by uh, a miracle seeing a miracle you you're crazy they they uh, they've already got enough to in the scripture to tell them that they ought to repent uh and and so they won't avo- so that they won't come to this fate the guy says who's roasting an l right so I think Luke did believe in it matthew did um it kind of changed my mind on this one. Because when he says in a number of parable conclusions that he adds that the bad guys will uh, be cast into the oven or the outer darkness or whatever, and they'll be weeping and grinding of teeth, uh, that that uh, does seem to imply conscious suffering. And especially Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats thing. What is the point of um, saying that the fire prepared for the devil and his angels is eternal if it's just going to consume you. Because remember, we're talking about the final judgment, not judgment immediately after death as in Luke, though even there it implies fiery torment. But uh, if you're being thrown into this fire that will go on forever... You know, why do you need that if it's just going to destroy all the wicked in one big gulp? Um, But I don't think John says anything about this, nor do the Pauline epistles, which just speak of resurrection or being dead, uh, that uh, Christ is the first fruits, um, that uh, he rises first and then those who are his, and then comes the end. What about the sinners? Uh, just stay dead. I mean, that you can't really read any more in from that. So, I, I don't think John has that problem, but um, the way people speak of uh, these things in a synthesized fashion, just using all the bits of the Bible as uh, puzzle pieces, yeah, that does pose a problem. Uh, and, of course, if they were to reckon with New Testament diversity, the different writers say different things, they'd have an even bigger problem on their hands, right? Okay, um. Oh boy, this is uh, a long one. Uh, okay, uh, from Jason Quackenbush, who always has good stuff here. In First Kings 1 8, we get the list of Zadok, the priest, uh, Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, um, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and, quote, the mighty men who belong to David. I assume they're the three mighty men from Second Samuel 23, 8 and following. Well, later on it does list a whole bunch more. Uh, the Deuteron- Deuteronomistic scribe says they form a group of counter coup supporters of solomon this passage has the feel of a gathering of heroes list of the sort familiar from myths like arthur's gathering the round table or my namesake mentioning the argonauts Uh, in those stories all those heroes had their own stories separate from the one they are telling so the end result is something like a massive crossover event like marvel's secret wars uh, is that what's going on in the tale of Solomon and uh, uh, assuming the throne too i know that zadok had a bit of a life of zone in myth and legend from reading eisenman but what about the others are these legendary heroes nephilim right uh, drafted by the scribes to lend weight and interest to the tale or just supporting caste made up by the deuteronomistic school for the davidic epic of course, as you know, we can't know, but I think you're right. I think there must have been stories about these guys, and that it was assumed the reader would know who they were, uh, and that the uh, he, that the uh, compiler just didn't think that. Uh, it was worth reiterating that if you didn't know, no big deal because David's the star of the show, but I think you're right. Roland's companions and so on. Why even have these names? If, if you're not referring to Sir Kay and you know, all those guys. Uh, and, um, it, like, we almost have that with some of the judges, right? We we barely hear of Shamgar, uh, who pretty obviously is another version of Samson. Uh, and I think uh, it's, it's kind of like the Hall of Heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, where we do know more about him from the Old Testament, and where at least some brief notes are given to him, or the let us now praise famous men in uh, Sirach or Ecclesiasticus. So I think you're right. They originally were known. I really wish. I don't know how many of them survived into Jewish legend, uh, because there's an awful lot of that great stuff. I'll see if I can find out anything about that, if I can remember to do it. And I suspect that these guys were considered descendants of the Nephilim, which uh, Goliath and some of the Philistine mighty men are said to be. Two, Matthew seems to be more thematically straightforward if you cross out verses um, 8 through 12 of chapter 23, which look to me like an explanatory note based on why it's bad to be called rabbi. Do you think it's plausible to read those verses as an interpolation? If so, I think it's interesting that if you leave those out, there's nothing left to the speech to suggest it is Christian. Um, Actually, Would those demand that you're a Christian? Uh, Don't call anyone Father, Abba, uh, a Jewish title, right? Um, Sort of a synonym for rabbi, teacher, or master. Uh, And uh, don't call anybody... Uh, rabbi, because you have one rabbi, and and all of this, uh, and even the Messiah, that's not distinctively Christian. So I'm not sure that those are are really... I mean, the whole thing implies a kind of intra-sectarian rivalry for the leadership of the formative Jewish community. Uh, Matthew doesn't like the Yavna Sanhedrin. Uh, That's who he's got in his sights. And... um, but this you know this doesn't really sound all that christian to me even this passage okay i'm sorry i shouldn't have interrupted it reads as what i would expect from hasidim and or possibly essene ascetics at Qumran against corrupt priests and levites in the temple well you know uh, there are other things in Matthew, like uh, don't call anybody you fool or raka or whatever um, because if you do you'll be liable to the Sanhedrin well what Sanhedrin? must be the council of this Essene-like Matthean community. So I, I think there's a good bit of that. Plus the use of the formula quotations. Uh, that's right out of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay, I understand also that big chunks of this are Q passages, paralleled in Luke 11:39, 39, but used in a significantly different order. In a lot of the denunciations of the Pharisees in in Luke, uh, in Matthew 23 are paralleled, about half of them in, in the Q material in Luke um, okay, uh, it's used in a significantly different order, dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes or lawyers in separate condemnations, unlike, uh, how. Uh, Matthew combines the critiques into one. The Matthew version seems more like a complete literary unit uh, to me, although I'm not really sure what is giving me that impression, and therefore I take it to be less edited than what Luke does with the material. Speculative though it may be, could this be evidence that Q, whatever it was, originated with Essene, Ebionite, Zealots, uh, who had left Jerusalem for the wilderness and... um were later drafted into the Christian cause. Yeah, it, it could be. It could be. In fact, I think Q was originally a cynic document, but in the Middle East, I'm not sure there would have been a huge amount of difference. Uh, you could have Jewish cynics. Uh, and uh, so, and a lot of this would make a, a lot of sense that way. Um, C3, I was going through the New Testament looking specifically for all the mentions of John the Apostle, because I'm chasing a theory that he's really just a reimagined and subordinated version of John the Baptist. I noticed as I was doing this that almost without exception, whenever John is mentioned as an Apostle, he seems to have been pushed out of the limelight by another Apostle, and this seems to me a prime candidate to apply the criterion of redundancy as I understand it. Exactly right reconstructing then several stories including paul's visit with the pillars in jerusalem galatians 2 9 the transfiguration mark 9 2 peter healing the lame beggar acts 3 1-11 the mission to samaria and the debate with simon magus acts 814 14-25 and peter and john's address to rulers Elders and Scribes, Acts 4, 13-31, all episodes where John seems to be standing around in the background, twiddling his thumbs and has no good reason to be there. It seems that with these stories, John has been pushed out of the way, first by James, uh, then by Peter, uh, in each legend. I've been looking for more examples, but I'm guessing if I'm correct about this, it's something someone else might have noticed first, and I wonder how it suggests reconstruction. Constructing these stories that were originally about John, and if you think I'm right that John the Baptist is the original protagonist of these stories, but if so, how can we make sense of John the Baptist being incorporated as a precursor figure, as well as this disciple of Christ, wandering around proselytizing and performing healings? um i don't th- think you the the idea that it was john the baptist really follows from the redundancy business uh, it it seems to me that what john is um now shown as a sidekick doing uh, these missions are not the sort of things we elsewhere associate with John the Baptist. I do think, as I believe Daryl Doughty pointed out, I don't know where he got it, um, that in, is it Acts 18 or 19? I can never remember. When Paul comes to Ephesus and meets 12 men, who uh, know the baptism of John only? That this is a kind of a wink to the notion of Paul versus um, the uh, the twelve disciples of Jesus, uh, with uh, John the Baptist standing for John the Apostle. And uh, I think there's a pattern Uh, if you compare the book of Acts with the second century Acts of John. I I have an article on this. Uh, I think it's uh, part of my uh, uh, The Amazing Colossal Apostle. I think there was an attempt by early Catholics to scrub the foundation stories of uh, the churches in Ephesus and so on at the hands of Paul, crediting John with him instead, because Paul was claimed by heretics in the area as their founder. And Luke doesn't like that. He's a Catholicizing writer, but his strategy is to rehabilitate Paul and make him uh, a, a, a Catholic, uh, so to speak, a Christian who accepts the Torah. And uh, whereas originally Paul was understood to be more like the Marcionite Paul, So there is something funny going on there, but uh, I don't really factor in the redundancy thing, which would imply... Uh, Johannine priority in those stories, but I think it's not that tough to figure in because he's he's like Robin to Peter's Batman, right? Uh, and it does make you, and, and the thing with Simon Magus, right, it's pretty clear Peter has elbowed Philip out of the way, uh, and uh, and so that uh, he, he probably has elbowed John out of these other things, too, and why is this? Because Luke is Catholicizing. He's sets up the extensive parallels between Peter and Paul uh, so as to try to reconcile the Marcionites and the Catholics, the great Paul fan club and the great uh, Peter fan club. Uh, so I think you're right. I, I think that um, that um, Peter has uh, shoved John out of the way. With the pillars, I don't know. Uh, that's... Uh, uh that's uh, yet another complication especially since i think paul originally refers only to cephas peter appears in go i mean in galatians anyway uh well i think 1 corinthians too um, but uh it's not absolutely clear that peter and cephas are the same guy and the attempt to identify them may be yet another attempt to promote peter as the legendary figurehead I'm soon going to be working on my uh, chapter on uh, Bart Ehrman's book about Peter, Paul, and Mary. Not the ones you're thinking of, but uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, and Mary Magdalene. And uh, this gives me some good ammo. I'm glad you brought that up, Jason. Uh, Always great stuff. Well, I better get out of here. I hope to do another Bible Geek before long. Uh, Once again, I welcome your support on Patreon, or just plain old PayPal donations, whatever, it sure helps us, because Carol and I are really trying to be able to just live off of this, not because it'll be easy street, because given what we've planned, I don't think it will, but it will enable uh, both of us to do more of what we're doing now. Uh so uh I sure appreciate it. And uh and once again I will let you know about uh, any progress on that Free Thought Prophet um podcast coming up and the uh, gospel according to price uh um mockumentary, schlockumentary, uh, rockumentary, or whatever it is. Thank you for listening to the Bible Geek and keep sending in those questions.